I think we're okay now. All right. So, Steve, hi. How's it going? I think I'm all <laughs> set up now. Cool. Um, we should start with our field trip, I think. Yes. Yes. Of course. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And although Steve was here a couple of days ago, we are still recording remotely uh, for yes. whatever reason. <laughs> it uh, You needed to get back out of town uh, before the rush so that you could get to your responsibilities. But you were here Friday, and we need to talk about that. On Friday this past week, which was the 15th, right? Yes. 14th? Yes. Doesn't really matter. 15th. We drove a grand total round trip four and a half hours from Chicago to just outside of Madison, Wisconsin to go to the National Fucking Mustard Museum. <laughs> I know why I wanted to go, Steve. Why did you want to go? Um, it's, uh, well, it's an interesting oddity, right? That's, yeah, that's basically the same reason that I wanted to go plus... Yeah, I guess I would say I'm I'm a casual fan of mustard, right? Like, if I was wearing a mustard t-shirt you know i'm the guy that somebody would come up and go oh you're a mustard fan name three of their albums right now i'd be like oh, i could get two so i'm a casual <laughs> but agreed that was wild is the wrong term it was impressive it was an impressive operation yes right off the bat uh, it, what, what did you learn that you did not expect to learn at that place um Oh, that's an excellent question. I I I had I didn't really have expectations going in, so uh, I don't know. Uh, um, you tell me yours, and that'll give me a better. That'll give me an example. Well, I mean, first off, right off the bat, one of the first things that happened was I became immediately enamored with the store part of it, and then you were like, "Hey, we should actually go to the museum, museum, which is in the basement." <laughs> yes. So that was that was hilarious, and the em employees are looking at us like this always happens. Uh, but then when we did get down there, one of the very first things you see is it turns out, so there's a big map on the wall, Saskatchewan, Canada is the largest producer of mustard seeds in the world. I don't know if that's per capita because there's not a ton of people that live in Saskatchewan or just by like <laughs> tonnage. But uh, I was surprised to discover that. And I was also thinking about it. I don't associate mustard with any particular cuisine, right? Because you get mustard as part of curry spice mix you get mustard in you know british cooking you get mustard in southern american cooking you get mustard in uh chinese cooking right like it's kind of all over the place so i don't know why i thought oh weird canada but i mean apparently this is a plant that just grows all over yeah um that uh yes i would agree there i guess for me as well um i also did not know that saskatchewan was like a you know big in mustard but you'd think that would have come up in corner gas right right uh brent but because i know you must listen to this uh, come on where was your mustard episode speaking of so ladies and gentlemen if you've been listening to us for a while you've heard us mention on occasion this canadian television show which is no longer on the air called corner gas which is like a hundred percent right in the dead center of my sense of humor it's a small town 
in Saskatchewan, but it could be a small town anywhere. Like, the characters could easily come from my hometown in northern Michigan or from Steve's hometown in central Michigan. And it's hysterical. You can find it on Amazon now, I believe. Um, I think so. And they have a movie, which is one of those things where it's like, well, it's it's like the best Star Trek movies, where it's just a huge episode, you know. Uh, I, Brent Butt actually just published a book, which I'm going to try to get a hold of. But I did take a picture of that. And there's a joke in Corner Gas that Saskatchewan, which is roughly a rectangle, is, quote, nature's perfect shape. So I did uh, social media-wise. I don't do Twitter anymore. Uh, so I did this on threads. I sent that to him. A picture of Saskatchewan's mustard growing prowess with the caption, nature's perfect shape. <laughs> nice. I have yet to hear back. Um, so one of the other things I learned, because I'd never really thought about it before, but there was that little uh, infographic or whatever it was on the harvesting of yeah. mustard. And uh, the just how labor intensive that would have been back in the day, and uh, I'm sure they use machines now. But I, I think threshing, I think wheat, but mustard, you need to thresh in that as well because you got to get the seeds out of the seed pods and yep. um, whatever else, and they're real tiny. So uh, yeah, that's that was a fascinating process as well. And uh, wonder how many people accidentally grew mustard and tried to bake bread with it. Um. <laughs> well, and so I made dinner last night here at the house. So this would be Saturday night, the day after you and I went to the mustard museum. And I took a pork loin and I seared it. I seasoned it salt and pepper and garlic powder. And then I seared it and then I let it that cool. I cooked some diced onions and some uh, ground up garlic, some some finely chopped garlic in that same pan where I seared the pork, and then I cooled that down, mixed it with a uh, Pinot Noir and herb mustard that I had purchased while we were at that museum. And then, so I coated the outside of the, the pork loin with that, and then I put breadcrumbs around that and roasted it uh, on, you know, top of a bunch of red onions. And it was extremely good. So I was pretty happy about that. Nice. I've yet to break into any of the mustards I got. Well, two of them that I purchased are gifts for coworkers, so I'm not going to get into those. But really, like, you don't need to be a like. Here's here's the plug. Here's the ad for the mustard museum in Middleton, Wisconsin. You don't need to be a mustard nerd or to like super love mustard to go to this place because it was just a, it was fun. It was fun enough, and they had like the kind of stuff that I dig. They had like really old mustard tins, and you and I were looking at some of these displays where the mustards in the jars or the bottles were so old that they had like dried out into like a mustard nugget, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a certain like weight of history to that. There were a bunch of old advertisements and stuff, but then you go back upstairs to the store, and how many samples did that guy have there? Like forty. Yeah, there were a whole he a, a one whole deli cooler in yeah. the back, um, filled with open jars of mustard of of, of you know uh, none of them were the same I don't think no. and then you just like I want to try this one he'd reach back and grab the one from the cooler and give you a little ice cream tasting spoonful of mustard. Well, and then the the plan there is of course to entice you to buy them and there's one that I did buy I bought the like smoky chipotle mustard one which i believe that my lead cook is really going to dig and so i guess i hope she doesn't listen to this before i get to work tomorrow <laughs> uh <laughs> surprise but there were a number of them that we tried there was one what was the spicy one that took you off guard because there was one where you were like oh that one's spicy well the, the, uh, the two spicy ones i had nashville hot chicken was rather oh, spicy Oh, that's the one or nashville hot it well there's no chicken it was just nashville hot um, mustard, but the one I had before that that I was surprised by was the banana pepper one because 
I've never had a banana pepper that was as spicy as that mustard. And uh, yeah, I was a little taken aback by that because it was legit spicy. It yeah. wasn't like it was, you know, my face was on fire, but I was like, this is way surprising because it's banana pepper. And even, you know, if I hadn't known it was a banana pepper, I would still think this is rather spicy. Well, and that's that's was fantastic. And I think, was it that one or was it the Nashville hot one that he, the the guy behind the counter said that he puts on the outside of a grilled cheese sandwich to grill it? I think it's the Nashville hot, yeah, instead of butter. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I I worry about, like, I believe him, but I worry about, like, totally <laughs> wrecking a pan and burning the fuck out of it if I'm not careful. But I will have to try that at some point with just one of the, because now I have 13 jars of or, or bottles of mustard in the house, four of which are open in my fridge, and the other ones are, are in the wings. They're in the, the dugout waiting to be, uh, waiting to get their turn. Well, maybe whatever is added to the mustard for the Nashville hot has enough oil in it because yeah. mayo and and butter both uh, being used for grilled cheese sandwiches, depending yeah. on, on what you're doing, uh, they, they both contain a substantial amount of oil, right? So you're going to kind of fry the bread as you're um, right. grilling it. So uh, I would, yeah, instead of just uh, burning, <laughs> making mustard <laughs> gas. <laughs> right. That's my fear. Like, am I going to mace myself? Right. Which I would prefer not to do, obviously. <laughs> I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, but I um, I also bought a hat for my son. He was delighted. He, I'm turning him into a hat guy, same as I am. I must have 30 baseball caps that I wear in rotation these days, and he's quickly becoming that as well. And I bought a coffee. I would like to talk about this coffee real quick because I was a little nervous. It didn't say that there was any mustard in the coffee, um, but you just never know. It's somebody <laughs> doing something kitschy, and there were a lot of bags of coffee there. So I was like, this stuff isn't selling very well. But this is from a company called Rusty Dog Coffee, which is in Madison proper. And they roast a blend specifically for the National Mustard Museum. And uh, it's not bad. To my to my taste, it's like a 7.5 to 8 out of 10, right? It's it's not top in the list, but I'm drinking it and I'm, I'm happy with it. It's it's as dark as they say it is, but there's something about it. It doesn't have like the the roundness, the richness that I look for out of a coffee that's this dark. It just kind of disappears. So I I don't know if that's a bean thing. I don't know if that's a roasting thing. Whatever. But it was a it was a good eleven ninety five spend. You know, like it's way cheaper than it would have been in Chicago, which I always forget <laughs> how fucking expensive everything is in Chicago. I held back a little bit in buying mustards from that store and other things, and I got honey sticks for my daughter and whatever and i still was out of there for like 60 bucks and i was like wait a minute i could have spent a lot more money here <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i i feel like that coffee being there and granted like you say they do ha they did just have regional uh wisconsin stuff yeah yeah um in there maybe even cheese curds were the cheese curds somewhere there had to be right there was a cooler that was over by you know because they have the store organized in such a way where it's like these are fruit mustards these are spicy mustards and they had one that was like these are this year's winners of the mustard olympics or whatever the the competition is and right next to that was a cooler with yeah cheese and some mustards that i guess that need to be refrigerated that have like fresh products in them like herbs and such and also if anyone like if you're in the area and you're like i need a lot of mustard that i'm going to use quickly they had clearance mustard true yeah uh, um, that was, uh, you know, near but not past expiration. Um, but I feel like if, if it's the coffee at the Mustard Museum, then it just, like, needs a few mustard seeds just floating around in that bag. Um, <laughs> just... So that you never know if your next cup of coffee is going to have 
that little uh, extra bite. So I've told this story on the show before, but it's worth reiterating because it's been a while. So my dad and I, for the last, I don't know, probably 20 years, have been trading coffee pretty consistently, right? Because he travels for his job. And whenever he travels to a new town or even a town that he's been to, he looks for the cool local coffee, right? Which has become more and more readily available as the years have gone by. Meanwhile, I'm doing the same thing. So I was living in Houston, Texas for a while. I was living in Vermont for a while. I was living in uh, here in Chicago. And so I will go to like farmer's markets and I'll find coffee and I'll, I'll buy two bags. I'll buy one for myself and potentially one for my dad. And if <laughs> I like it, then I give him the other one, whatever, right? Uh, we went, when I was up in uh, Ripon, Wisconsin, doing, uh, uh, helping out the school that we have up there for my job, there was a coffee shop obviously it's a very 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 small college town but they had a coffee shop there so i was like oh, i'll buy some coffee one of those is for my dad so years ago this is easy 15 years ago my dad was in amarillo texas and bought a coffee for me and sent it to me and what he did not do was tell me because he knew that they roast their coffee in the same thing that they roast their poblano peppers in for, for for drying and roasting those peppers and so the first cup of coffee you're like there's a nice like weird sort of an an earthy herby kind of a sweetness to this it's strange and by the second cup of coffee you're like every part of the inside of my body is on fire because it was fucking <laughs> sneaky and so you couldn't have more than a cup or two of it and uh it was it was a fun trick i got he got me he got me good i should have looked at the bag a little more closely but yeah that was uh i didn't finish that bag of coffee I don't know what I did with it, but it was one of those things where it was like, this is, it's tasty for the first cup, but I usually drink like seven cups of coffee at a time, and I was not going to be able to do that with this stuff. Um, speaking of, this is a little bit of a segue, and we can get back to Mustard Museum if, if you want, but uh, um, being sneaky packages, you bought another package of coffee. <laughs> I did. On the trip. So let's talk about that Japanese store first. So your wife recommended that we go to this, what was it called? Was this like Japanese or maybe? I think it was Pan Asian. Yeah, generalized that part of the world. It was called Global Market and Food Hall. And then there were a number of Asian characters there that I cannot read. Uh, and it was recommended to her somehow. You know, I, what, what did she look it up via TripAdvisor or something like this, I imagine? It's a, yeah, something. In Madison. And what it is, is it's a huge Asian, Japanese, Korean, you know, grocery store. Where I bought mooncakes because I like them. And I believe there's a moon festival going on right now. I don't know that for certain. Um, <laughs> and there's all kind of other stuff, right? So there's really fun potato chips. Like I got these potato, these Lay's potato chips that are supposed to taste like octopus meatballs. They, I'm going to have to believe them. I've never had an octopus meatball. So whatever it tastes like, I'm going to go, <laughs> well, there it is. However, you're correct. There was this huge tea and coffee aisle. And we've talked about this on this show, too. There is a very particular type of coffee in Vietnam where they feed the coffee cherries, which are roughly the size of like a really big grape, to this particular type of fox weasel kind of a thing called a civet. And then the animal digests everything except for the actual coffee bean itself, like what you would see that you're grinding up, and it poops those out. And then they gather up all the poop, and they wash the beans really well, and they roast them, and it's fox poop coffee is what I call it. So I found a bag of that, except the bag, I'm going to read directly from the bag right now because I took a picture and sent it to my dad. The bag in the ingredients says Arabica coffee, comma, weasel coffee flavor. <laughs> I did still buy it 
and I am still going to serve it to a bunch of people just because. Like, it's it's ground in such a way that it's really good for espresso. And we have an espresso maker at my job. So tomorrow morning, my staff and I are going to be drinking weasel coffee flavor coffee. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> I have no qualms. The idea of an animal pooping out coffee beans, and I am presuming that they're washing them very, very well. I have that doesn't bother me in the slightest. Let me have let me well, let me let me drink that coffee. They're letting an an animal do what you would need. You have to get the cherry off of there somehow, yeah, right? Yeah. So what's the normal process of that? You like squish it and then soak them in water, and you can kind of agitate it, and it sort of falls off, and then you have to strain them out. Is what I understand. So instead of doing that, they're letting the gut of the civet or whatever it is do all of that process, and then they're just uh, yeah washing them really well, and it's before roasting, so yeah. you know. There's very, there's no danger of any of the uh, any of that stuff. Well, right. Even if there remaining. was poop still on there, it's gonna be like pasteurized. It's it's there's gonna be no harmful bacteria left in it as well. So if you if you think that maybe it's gross to have a little bit of poop in your coffee, okay, but like it's not gonna hurt you. Well, and and be, the coffee beans, everyone. You if you get whole bean coffee. Um, you'll most of them are broken in half by then but uh they're very smooth yeah, so, so yeah. there's nothing there like it's not like it's a uh a durian which we also yeah, saw yeah or uh something that's real spiky that's going to catch a lot of the the or like a walnut. digested material yeah, like a yeah, walnut yeah. in all of those little crevices would just be full of fox poop that'd be gross yeah but i've also but, i've had it and i've enjoyed it like it's it's got a slightly different flavor than regular coffee like you can tell you can tell that's what it is but not so much so that i'm like oh there's clearly poop in here like that's not the flavor it's not like poop flavor <laughs> no it's weasel flavor <laughs> right and so ladies and gentlemen if you've had this coffee before uh, whether you've enjoyed it or not please let us know best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com my instagram is chef ben randall I have completely disconnected from Twitter because uh, that I don't necessarily need to be part of that tire fire anymore, right? It was just a source of anger for me. And like Steve and I have talked about on occasion, uh, I'm the first rat off the ship. Like, I can just tell when a kitchen's going bad. I can tell when a restaurant's going bad. Same thing with Twitter. I'm like, mm, this is not going to get better. I'm out. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you look for In the Weeds with Ben Randall. And uh, Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. And we would love to have your input on fox poop and or weasel flavor coffee, <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever had it. Yes. I'm a huge fan. I mean, not so much so that I, like, seek it out, but I certainly don't say no to it when I when I encounter it. Yeah. I mean, I, it, and not to the point where you have a variety of exotic animals in the backyard that you're feeding coffee cherries to. Right. And you don't have a, a a poop coffee test kitchen. Ooh, speaking of, my backyard camera caught two different foxes visiting my backyard two different times last night. Like Ooh. a regular American non-coffee foxes. And uh, I, I'm still not worried. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any sort of livestock, right, you know exactly how dangerous foxes can be because they do dig, right? So when my wife put together our chicken coop, she buried the fencing, the, the, the actual, like, chicken wire, eight or ten inches down into the ground beneath the chicken coop, and it's all one piece, right? Like, the wrap is one piece. So there's there's no getting in unless the foxes decide to attack during the day when we've got the chickens out in the run or out in the veranda. There's no danger overnight. We have also seen them on top of the coop itself. They can get 
up a uh, a ladder that the neighbors have and onto their garage and then onto our garage and then on top of the chicken coop there's no danger there either so where where those are different pieces of chicken wire that overlap we've zip tied them together so unless the foxes have developed thumbs they're gonna be fine the chickens are gonna be fine wow those foxes sound like they're clever like a human <laughs> It's it's interesting because our neighbors do have three bulldogs, and so for the most part, wildlife stays away from our house, and I presume it's because of the smell of those dogs. But these ones, on the camera at least, came in through that yard, so they're getting kind of cocky. <laughs> the smell of the chicken outweighed yeah. the smell of the bulldogs. Gotta be. What else do we want to say about that Asian store? Like, I had a ton of fun going through there. I got another type of chip, which is supposed to be super, super spicy, and... What else did I buy while we were there? Mooncakes. I bought Pockies for my daughter. This like a peanut butter Kit Kat kind of a thing, but it wasn't Kit Kat brand. And then we got lunch there because they had a food court as well. Yeah, the food court that was uh, needs needed to see more traffic. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, it was, uh, they, they said food hall, right? It was Asian market and food hall or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And they were, there were a couple, there were like three or so that were empty, but then the, it was there were a few more and my one of the reasons i think my wife sent that was because of the potential for korean hot dogs right right um and we didn't find out until the end that they were at the place where they had the donuts yeah they had the mochi donuts yeah so they also at the so if you go the mochi donut place is where to get your your korean dogs it's not just the donuts but you go touch the order screen because it's part robot (laughs) and uh um they'll have the korean hot dogs there too so uh uh, but yeah, I had a, a some really good uh, soup. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't really think it was pho because I don't know as it was Vietnamese. Right. Does it have to be Vietnamese to be I right? That is a believe Vietnamese so. Thing. Yeah, we're up against the the edge of my knowledge. I don't know exactly what nationality that restaurant was. If it was anyone in particular, yeah, yeah. Um, but they had really good pork belly. They had really good um, pork belly. That's what you had in my the that was in my soup along with meatballs and chicken and all of it was really good. I put a little too much of the spicy. What did, what did you call it? Uh, uh, chili crisp. It looked like it was chili crisp. E- yes, um, a little bit, maybe too much of that in the soup because then I, I was like, I'm not gonna uh, attempt to uh, uh, imbibe the broth a- afterward because it was a little spicy. And 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 I made the exact same mistake, right? Like I'm fairly adventurous, but my my tolerance for heat is is in the middle somewhere, right? And so I did get the pork belly and um, sticky rice. The sticky rice was purple, which I was not anticipating, but that was very cool too. However, the sticky rice itself really didn't taste like anything, and that's the point. You have other flavorful things that you dump on top of that rice and you stretch the whole meal out. And there was this little, you know, two-ounce ramekin of, of some sort of a, of a spicy sauce. It wasn't chili crisp. It was more of a liquidy sauce. Boy, I dipped a fork full of rice in that, and it was hot. And I had to really be more judicious about my use of that throughout but it was it was delicious it was super good and we also didn't spend that much money on it which i thought was great like the whole lunch for me was like 13 bucks or something yeah yeah it, it wasn't bad at all so uh yeah we recommend if anyone's yeah. in the area what we didn't do because we were obviously still two and a half hours out of coming back to my house is they have a huge butcher shop fish area they had all these tanks with crabs and stuff in them obviously i wasn't gonna buy live you know uh crabs to then yeah. drive around <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, and then drive back to my house. They would not be right. super happy by the time we got back here. Correct. Even if I wasn't yeah. allergic to them. I don't know what I would do with crabs. Just, like, let them loose in my basement. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> Feed them to the chickens. There you see go. Who wins. Oh, that would be fun. Chicken versus crab. <laughs> I think the crabs would win. I hate to say it, but it's probably true. It, de- it depends on how many chickens were versus one crab. Fair. That's fair. All three chickens versus one crab, chickens would win. We also went to a French bakery mm-hmm. that had nobody in it the whole time we were there. Ah, that's a lie. Three other people came in while we were there, maybe? Yeah, but there were there was also evidence that other people had been true, there. True, true. Yeah, some of the tables still had not been bust. Uh, I wonder if that bakery, which was in a strip mall, suffered from the fact that the entrance and exit of the strip mall was dominated by a drive through coffee place that was slowing traffic down for like a mile. Because yeah. getting getting to it took me longer than I wanted to. But the uh, tart that I had, the like uh, dried cherry tart that I had, was amazing. The cookie you got was gigantic, and the bread it was the bread that I I bought and brought home was not exactly a ciabatta. That's what they called it, but it was much denser. But it's still delicious. It's still really good bread. I just had to stop thinking about it as being ciabatta. I, uh, is ciabatta usually round like that? I don't know if I've ever seen like a loaf of ciabatta. No, it's usually like a longer um, rectangle that's super, super puffy and soft. This, I mean, this okay. was more of like a country loaf, which is fine. It was, It's really good. I just have to stop thinking about it as being ciabatta because that's not what it was. Um, the, uh, the sugar cookie is what they called it, but it was really more of a shortbread, ah. um, um, which is probably just American sugar cookie versus what other because they were both people that we that were working there were french yep. um so uh but yeah it was really good i was one of those things that when you're looking at it you're like this is really dangerous because uh like a donut if i inhale at the wrong moment i'm coughing powdered sugar the rest of my life <laughs> but i managed to get through it without doing that which was also nice it looked like a giant uh jammy dodger yeah. sort of a situation so um yeah it was it was good uh i was still full of uh soup and donut but uh managed to cram that in as well (laughs) yeah the the place we went to for anybody who's familiar with that area is called la baguette which is i would say almost cliche to call a french bakery not in france la baguette but what are you gonna do uh yes so steve learned although i'm sure you may have had an inkling when you travel with me it's all about food we just (laughs) went to food places and uh had we had more time a bookstore or some sort of other non-food sure. museum probably would have been in the works, uh, but that's not how I travel. <laughs> we did research uh, the first Culver's, which True. is in Sauk City, but uh, it it isn't. It seems to be a Culver's with a plaque. It's not like it's an older building, or there didn't seem to be anything extra special about mm-hmm. it, other than there's a plaque that says "I'm the first. There's no Culver's museum in the basement. Yeah, right. There should be right. The, like the the first incarnation of Scoopy drawn like the first generation of the Simpsons or whatever right. versus what Scoopy looks like now. That kind of thing. I would, and maybe this is a thing that you and I should just start doing. I would go to obscure museums, even if they were highly commercialized, like if there was a Culver's Museum. But like I feel like the Mustard Museum has set the bar fairly high. They really did put some effort into that, into the whole display and everything. Now, Kayla and I have been to the first Dunkin' Donuts and the first uh, Tim Hortons, both of which were done up, or at least the upstairs of the first Tim Hortons, because it might be like, this is where the first Tim Hortons was, but it may have been redeveloped since then. So I don't know if it's the same building, but upstairs they had it done 
um, with a counter and the whole upstairs of the two-story Tim Hortons was done as if it was in, you know, that era. time capsule. Whenever that was. Yeah. Yeah. And then the same thing with the Dunkin' Donuts. The interior looks, you know, again, it might not be the same building, but it's the location of the first Dunkin' Donuts. So they did it um, so that it still has the round stools at a counter (laughs) and, uh, you know, the kind of thing that you would have uh, encountered, no pun intended, or or sorry for the redundancy, um, uh, if you had gone to a Dunkin' Donuts back in the 50s or whenever, 50s, 60s, whenever Dunkin' Donuts came on the scene. So that was kind of what I was hoping for. You know, when we were like, hey, let's look up the yeah. first Culver's. But again, Culver's <laughs> didn't come on the scene in the 50s and the right. 60s. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> when the first Culver's, maybe the 90s. Oh, so yeah, I don't even know. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been that uh, that cool anyway. Even So maybe it does still look like it did. Right. Well, yeah, it hasn't changed much. Like the first A&W, I would go to that. A&W drive-thru, yeah. that'd be cool. Although, having said that... The current A and W drive-throughs all look like time capsule anyway. Dri- drive-ins, I guess. Like you go yeah. there and you're like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna get attacked by greasers." You know, <laughs> people are gonna be waving combs at me. There yep. is one. There's one that's on the way back from one of the um, beaches that we go to up in northern Michigan when we visit my mom. So when we go to Arcadia Beach, there's there's one on the way back from there that I would never be able to find without her. Like, my mom's a GPS of all of northern Michigan. She doesn't need <laughs> her phone. She's just been up there for so long, and all she does is drive around, and she knows everybody in the world up there. But it is exactly that. You drive in, and it's as though you've driven through some sort of portal into the past, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. Me too. I'm, I'm uh, I mean, the a&W has some really good cheese curds. Better yeah. than Culver's, yeah. I think, be, but primarily because they're breaded and or battered instead of breaded. Yep. Um, I was texting with my lead cook yesterday because she just bought a house out in one of the suburbs here and found out that there's a GFS store nearby. And I've we've talked about this too. I've recently changed my prejudice against Gordon Food Services. Not that I'm going to use them professionally because I still think that like a produce company and making stuff in house is always going to be a better product. But like, if I need to buy stuff for my house, GFS is like in that middle ground between a big grocery store and Costco, right? Where like going to Costco is an investment of time and effort. Like you come out of there tired, you know, but you better be going to, you're not going to go to Costco to buy a thing. Whereas a GFS store, like if you need a pork loin, you can go to, you know, GFS and get a pork loin for like $11 or something. Like, it's just, it's almost the same prices as if you would be ordering for a restaurant. And they've got all sorts of stuff. My lead cook found a GFS near her, and she went there the other day and bought frozen battered cheese curds. So now, I didn't know that was a product. Now I need to look for those next time I'm at GFS. Because if this is something I can take out of the freezer and fry, I might be in significant health trouble. (laughs) <laughs> I might be I might have to be very careful. And you know that th- that comes in a package of just like you know, 10 pounds oh, yeah. or 20 pounds, Gotta be. 50 pounds of cheese curds or something like that. And there's stuff at GFS that's silly, right? Like I'm not going to buy a four inch tin hotel pan of mac and cheese that's frozen that you're supposed to just put in the oven and have because that again, yeah, it's like 40 pounds of mac and cheese. I can make mac and cheese. So they've got silly stuff. But the stuff that they have there, they definitely serve an audience. I don't know who it is, but maybe it's somebody who's having a huge benefit barbecue that raises money for something. And they're like, I don't have time to make mac and cheese for 200 people. I'm going to go to GFS right. and get six of these trays. And the cost is, is it's minimal. It's really surprisingly, if you need like 
a three pound jug of black pepper that's ground yeah you could do worse than go to gfs you're certainly not grinding it yourself you know yeah my my gfs story i've probably told this before is when i was at western uh for uh opening opening night receptions they would always serve punch as well as i don't know if they had wine they may have done wine and stuff as well for especially for the very first show of the year for the theater department and i was working in the arts management office and the director of arts management said hey go to uh gordon's food service and get some punch so i said okay and then i was like how much and they're like i don't know six gallons i think is what they said um so i went and i bought six gallons of punch concentrate <laughs> and brought them back which would have been fine had after the opening night reception the chair of the department didn't stop by the arts management office and say i hate this punch never have it again <laughs> Um, leaving us with f- like five and a half gallons of punch right. concentrate, which we, when we were feeling brave, would just do shots of in the arts management office. Um, Yikes. We were feeling either brave or stupid. I don't know which. Uh, so, yeah, that was that's my GFS story. It's like, yeah, the punch concentrate different than punch. <laughs> right, right. But. I'm trying to take notes this time. Like I say, every every episode. <laughs> All right. So that's the fun we've had, Steve. You want to talk about scary and or terrible stuff? Sure, let's do it. All right. Let's start with, once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not subscribed to Food Safety News, breaking news for everyone's consumption. Again, I get an email from these folks every single day, and it tells me a lot about what's going on in the world of food safety, but not food safety, food like unsafety, right? Yeah. This is a this is an article that's uh, indicative of a thing that Steve and I have talked about before, mainly in relation to like uh, Chipotle, right? So this article is a follow up to an article that we haven't even had a chance to talk about yet because it's gotten worse so quickly. Title of the article: More daycare centers closed in Canada as E. coli outbreak appears to be spreading. So this is just today, yesterday. From this article, additional daycare centers have been closed in Calgary, Canada, as the patient count in an outbreak of E. coli infections continues to increase. These, there are now 342 confirmed patients. Steve, this is the important part to me. Mostly children younger than five. Yeah. That's scary as fuck. E. coli is, if you don't know, a gut bacteria infection that basically makes you have the screaming poopies, right? And it's awful. It's a lot of diarrhea. It's a bit of throwing up, but it's a lot of diarrhea. And when you are an adult, it's awful. It's not fun. Um, it's it's almost flu-like symptoms, too, because of the way your body reacts to it. But if you're five or if you're old, you can run the very sincere risk of dehydration because of this. And it's tough to get a kid who is either having to go to the bathroom all the time or throwing up to drink enough water. And so these, like, kids have been hospitalized because of this thing. Now, the short story on this is that there's a whole bunch of daycare centers, and I'm trying to get down to where it is, uh, that all share a central kitchen for their food. And yeah. this this is where, where we were talking about the um, Chipotle issue, where people were getting... Exactly this. They were getting either E. coli or um, what was the other one that was happening at, at Culver's? Was it E. coli? What? I think E. coli was a salmonella as well. or Maybe. But the idea. That's the other one. I it's very, very, very simple. My brain. Anything that can drip 
onto a food that's not going to get cooked is dangerous, right? Think about it this way. If you have a, a rack of shelving in a cooler and you have chopped romaine lettuce on the bottom, shredded romaine lettuce on the bottom that's going to go in every taco, burrito, taco salad, whatever, and you put chicken, beef, raw eggs, whatever above it, there is a chance that any juice out of that could drip into the romaine. Why that's dangerous yeah. is that you're not cooking that romaine before you're selling it, and the whatever you're dripping could contain a pathogen, right? So if it's beef, it could be E. coli. If it's chicken, it could be salmonella. If it's eggs, it could be salmonella. That's why when you put things into a cooler, raw protein products always go on the very bottom. This is this is like day one training for sanitation certification. Ready RTEs, ready to eat products, always go as high up as possible because again, you're not cooking them. You don't have that safety catch of like, well, even if there is poop on this coffee, we're cooking it, right? Like there isn't that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when whenever we hear about, and it's almost annually now, oh, it's outbreak of E. coli at Chipotle. This is exactly what it is. Somebody has taken beef out of the freezer to thaw. They've put it in a cooler wherever they could find space. As it's thawing, the package was ripped and it's dripping into romaine. This has to be what it is, right? This particular thing, this E. coli outbreak, is even worse than that because this is a centralized kitchen. So this could have been a fairly minor, small thing. But the fact that they're sending food out from this one location to all these other places means that it's instant outbreak. Yeah. And they said that the kitchen remains closed because the inspectors found several health violations. Yeah. And I had to ask you a question about this, including uh, cockroaches, pooling water on the floor, Neither of which are necessarily sources of E. coli, right? right. Um, those two things. And, and a food thermometer stored in a bucket with uncleanable items. And my, my question to you is, what's an uncleanable item? Because I was thinking that, like, you clean your tongs. Because right. I'm thinking of, like, a, you know, a tongs and spatula uh, thing container is where it, it's been thrown in. But you did tell me what an uncleanable item could be. So it is a health code violation. And this is a very smart question on Steve's part to be like, what the hell is an uncleanable item? There is a, a, a citation you can get from the health department. And this, let me tell you, I did not know this until it wasn't caught by a health inspector. It was caught by one of my bosses. And I was told, you need to fix this shit right away. If you have a probe thermometer, even if it has like a sleeve that clicks over the probe part of it, if you happen to have one of those in your pocket because you've been going around doing line checks or whatever, and you have, like I do, a coffee mug on your desk that's got a fuck ton of pens and Sharpies and shit like that in it, and you put the thermometer in that coffee mug with those pens, those are the uncleanable items. The idea being, the probe of that thermometer needs to be clean because you're jamalaming it into some food, and anything that's on that probe is now been, is now inoculating the food with whatever's on there, right? So let's say you've got E. coli on your fingers for whatever reason. You pick up a pen, you make a note, you put your thermometer in next to that pen. That pen transfers the E. coli to your thermometer. You go to check the temperature of a roast beef, and all of a sudden that roast beef contains E. coli, right? So that's the kind of thing they're talking about. Luckily for me, it was caught because it's like no joke. It's a, it's not going to shut you down, but it is a citation. Like you have to pay a fine for that. For something as simple as putting a thermometer in a coffee cup with pens. Yeah. Because you're not running your pens through the dish machine. Or if you are, right. you're throwing them in the garbage <laughs> when you're done. <laughs> yeah. I've put so many Sharpies through my washer at home. Like, I know. You just throw that shit away right as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to find. 
how broad this is. I can't remember exactly how many daycares this services. But it's a lot. It's a lot of daycares. Regardless, the, the, the doubly important part of this is two things happened in quick succession which made this that much more dangerous, right? Because the initial reporting on this was that no... None of the students, none of the children who had E. coli had gotten it from another student. I'm not sure how they discovered that. I don't know how it is that they find that thing out. Like if there's a different way to trace the pathogens uh, movement through your body or something. But they said, these kids, it's not human to human transmission. This is all food to people transmission. So the, the sincere issue was the food. And <clears throat> it must have been a recurring thing because kids were getting it. They were being sent home. Other kids were then getting it days and weeks later. And it's got to be coming from this food. So my presumption is that it's something that you would store like cut fruit. Again, like salad. Maybe it's uh, carrot sticks, celery sticks, something like this. Maybe you've... Because, I mean, you wouldn't even make sandwiches and hold them for a couple of days. That feels too much. However, now... A child has tested positive who was not in attendance at any of the daycares involved in the outbreak. What's happened is parents of kids who are at those daycares, those daycares were shut down. They've enrolled their kids at other daycares. So now this is a secondary spreading of this pathogen where you've got sick kids who are being put in other daycares and now they're infecting other kids. This is where an outbreak like this gets you know, 10 times more dangerous because it's tougher to track from there. The more it spreads, the tougher it is to track. You can get, you can get, contract E. coli from another person. Yeah. It's gross. It's a fecal transmission. So if you don't, oh, if you okay. don't wipe so right it's... and you've got it on your hands and you touch another person or, cause I don't know what the time frame is. Like if you get, cause it does, it, it's sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's gross. It comes out in your poop. Right. So like, let's say maybe it's, a really small child who gets a diaper changed and the person who does it doesn't wash their hands appropriately and interacts with another kid kind of thing. Or the diaper changing station is not bingo sufficiently. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're talking like an outbreak is more than two people who have the same symptoms of the same thing who are unrelated. Not like you and I go out to eat and we come back to the same house and like if we live together, that wouldn't be considered an outbreak. But if you go right. to a restaurant and I go to a restaurant and we sit at different tables, we both get sick after we've gone back to our respective homes, that's an outbreak. This is 342 kids. That's not an yeah. outbreak. That's a goddamn epidemic. And just the ones that are listed as far as being temporarily closed are 11, which would have shared, uh, received food from the central kitchen. So there's probably more than, or do you think that's it, the, the extent? Well, some of them have reopened, so I'm going to assume that it's more than that. Yeah, so 11 are still temporarily closed. Um, one, one little uh, question I have is, Little Oak Early Education, formerly Mangrove, uh, why change the name? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. I don't know. Although if – because here's the thing. the it's, it's not like they're contracting out to another – you know, outfit to do their food. Kids U Centennial Dash Fueling Mines Incorporated owns and operates all these daycares. So if right, they had right. to close one in September, maybe they did sell it to a new operating company. And that company's coming in going, you know the uh, joint that gave your kid the screaming poopies? We are not them. Like, I could see that being a move. Yeah. 
Well, and you wonder what's going to happen. I mean, this is a lot of daycare centers. Yeah. And it's... At this stage, they're not reporting any deaths among these children. Like I said, this can be deadly for someone that young, and I hope that's not the case. Some of the kids in the previous article, some of the kids had been hospitalized, but they were doing okay. But this has been going on since uh, September 4th, which is not that long ago. But the fact that it has progressed and it has broadened so quickly is really scary. Yeah. And also, everybody who has kids knows one kid gets sick in a classroom, they're all going to get sick, and then they're going to bring that shit home. That's just how it goes. And so that's why a company like this needs to be extra careful. And like you were saying, standing water, finding cockroaches, a thermometer in a cup full of pens, those are not things that would necessarily make you go, oh, well, these people are going to get kids really sick with E. coli. However, those are like the obvious things that you can just see when you walk into a place when you're inspecting. And yeah. those indicate to you, wait a minute, if they've got cockroaches in standing water, I need to look more closely at their time and temperature logs. I need to look more closely at the temps in their coolers and their HACCP processes and all this kind of stuff. Because if they are not paying enough attention to keep standing water off of the floor and they've got roaches so they don't have a pest management system, they're obviously not doing the stuff that's really difficult to do, like managing and training their staff to not store raw ground beef over romaine lettuce. You know, it's an right. indicator. It's like when you ask your children to clean their rooms and you walk in and the first thing you see is that the floor, like right inside the door is dirty. Well, that you're going to find out the closet is cramelam full of stuff, right? Like it's just a good indicator they're not doing other things. Well, uh, yes, I would agree. And uh, However, or um, tangentially, I don't know. Uh, it is also possible this came in from a purveyor, right? Especially... If if the other um, daycare's case is unrelated, if it's not because a kid was transferred, if if it's some food that they ate there somehow, that it, it is possible. Because usually when this happens over here, it's like, okay, r romaine lettuce from yeah, these farms yeah. is being pulled or, or whatever. Um, so I'm wondering, I, be, only because I wonder, like, how much ground beef do you need f to feed daycare kids? That's fair, and I honestly had not thought about that. You're probably like that. I, I I can't say you're probably right, but I can say that that's definitely like a very likely scenario that it was a single delivery of something like a romaine or an iceberg lettuce that got chopped and put into a mixed salad or into sandwiches or something and was sent out to everybody from one single batch. I can see that being the case. And then you're right; so it wouldn't necessarily be their fault. Yeah. But, I mean, it's possible that it is. They obviously did have some issues with, with the health inspection. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it one or the other. But I would think usually uh, – who does – does Canada use the CDC or do they have their own CDC? They have their own. Um, I'm just wondering – because usually by this time there's been some tra uh, tracing of that stuff, right? Right. It's been at, at least 10 days. They would have been able to um, – trace it down to and figure out what it was so so i don't know maybe it is just a lot of cross-contamination in that place which would muddy the waters a little bit in terms of being able to track it down um and maybe they maybe in canada they do feed their daycare kids a lot of beef i don't know <laughs> it was the poutine let me just take a look real quick and see if there's any other uh updates about this Oh, they filed. Some parents have filed a class action lawsuit against the company. That's interesting. 
Oh, yeah. So it could be the end of whatever uh, that parent company is for those daycares yeah. with that kind of thing, depending. Oh, shit. This this website is called Food Poison Journal. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, so this, I'm getting this from today. This is from Marler Clark, the food safety law firm. They run a thing called the Food Poison Journal. Quote, Based on the epidemiology of the cases we've seen to date, it is highly likely that the source of this outbreak is food that was distributed from the central kitchen, AHS says. I'm sure that's the Canadian version of the CDC. At this point, AHS has not been able to identify a food item that was the source we continue to investigate. I guess it must still be too early for them to have identified okay. a particular thing. Oh, yeah, I went to, um, what, what did you say, HAC? AHS. Oh, okay. Public Health Agency of Canada is where I ended up. But the only, when I click on um, public health notices, all I have is that there's an outbreak of suspected botulism in Bordeaux, France, linked to sardines. <laughs> so Marler Clark here has a little informational thing. How do you get E. coli? E. coli is often contracted by consuming food or beverage that has been contaminated by animal, parentheses especially cattle, manure. Most of the foodborne E. coli outbreaks have been traced to contaminated ground beef. However, leafy vegetables that have been contaminated in fields or during processing have been increasingly identified as the source of outbreaks, as have unpasteurized milk and cheese, unpasteurized apple juice and cider, alfalfa and radish sprouts, orange juice, and even water. There have also been outbreaks associated with petting zoos and our agricultural fairs. I would not, in this country, be allowed to serve unpasteurized milk, cheese, apple juice to children or orange juice. And my company, in particular, does not do any sprouts like alfalfa and radish because it is so prevalent that the the E. coli is just so uh, much more likely to be on there. Yeah. Well, there. Were, who was it that um, – it was Jimmy John's, right, that used to have sprouts? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and then there was an outbreak, and they just don't even offer it anymore. Yep. There was one other thing that they um, indicated in the first article that I read, as far as health inspection stuff goes, that we didn't talk about, which is they were transporting the food from this central kitchen to all the other locations without proper refrigeration. So the standard in the U.S. is anything that needs to remain under 40 degrees because of the... Um, danger zone 40 to 140 or needs to be held above 140 can only be in that quote danger zone for four hours and then you have to throw it away right so the clock starts ticking the minute the cold item gets above 40 or the hot item gets below 140 and at that point it's like four hours and you have to throw it away so in some of these cases coming from the central kitchen these other locations these uh daycares are up to 90 minutes away So if you're taking produce, let's say it is chopped romaine, just to keep it consistent, and you're putting it into a truck that is driving an hour and a half to a place to deliver, already that place only has two and a half hours to serve that food, right? Let's say they don't have adequate cooler space on site for all that stuff. They have to prioritize. They put meat products. They put dairy products. They put cut fruit into those coolers the romaine sits out let's say it shows up in the morning because they're going to be delivering the food for that entire day so they need to get the morning whatever there and that romaine sits out for four or five hours it's now been six and a half hours they go to serve lunch this stuff has been in the danger zone far too long 
yeah knowing something like that i'm sure their health department is also going this has to be where it is like there's no question that this is where it's coming from because already their their policies their procedures the water on the floor the the roaches may not have actually directly contributed to this outbreak but we know they're not doing stuff right yeah what what does a deep clean for E. coli entail? Because they did say that they were the kitchen or maybe it was other kitchens were closed for deep clean because of this. Uh, because the I know listeria is difficult, right? Yeah. Or or maybe it's the ice cream machines that make it more difficult because you just have to um, run bleach or whatever yeah. through all that and then get the bleach out or whatever you have to do to make it clean and then also make it suitable for. Uh, human food to to pass through it again as well i mean the one nice thing is that depending on the size of these daycare daycare centers they may not have a huge kitchen area so the daycare center that my daughter and my son went to their kitchen was tiny but they were getting only enough stuff for like a day or two at a time and it wasn't coming from a centralized location they were getting a truck in and they had enough food in-house for like a day or two for their kids. So if it's run like that, I mean, unfortunately for them and their food costs, the deep clean is throw away every scrap of food that's not dry in-house. And like you just said, sanitize everything. So you're taking everything out of the coolers. You're taking the racks out. You're running the racks through the dish machine. You're spraying like a squat, uh, a quat sanitizer in there and you're wiping it down. Or like a bleach or a, again, uh, ammonia-based kind of a thing. But you are sanitizing everything that might touch food up to dry like if you've got again like that big old five pound tub of black pepper for whatever reason that you would need a five pound tub of black pepper at a daycare <laughs> uh, you're not messing with that too much maybe you're sanitizing the exterior of those kind of things like the the outside of those spice jars or whatever but yeah i also don't know what the canadian rule is on that maybe they'd have them throw away fucking everything i don't know yeah. There's there are some packaged things that you wouldn't have to like if you had those little fruit cups that had a little syrup in them and all that. If those were sealed, you could probably just get away with sanitizing the exteriors. But I don't know. Maybe, and I'm going to preface this by saying I know this isn't true, and I uh, have no ill will toward Canada. I'm I'm a fan of Canada, uh, but maybe in Canada kitchens can be carpeted. Oh God, <laughs> that gave me the heebies and the jeebies. <laughs> Carpet on the floor, textured <laughs> wallpaper. Yikes. Popcorn ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> All great things. I mean, speaking of, if you walk into a kitchen that has any of those, leave. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're steam cleaning the carpet every day and all that, yeah, like the expense of that, just get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely get rid of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yuck. That's a big yuck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do we have anything else to say about hundreds of, of, of poor... I don't know how, what their financial situation is like, but poor as in, like, regrettable five-year-old yes. Canadians being sick? Uh, n no. I mean, hope everyone gets well quickly. So, let's go from kids to kids. What do you say? Sure. Another child labor threat to food safety this is from last week once again from food safety love, news what i love that that headline makes it seem like the child labor is threatening the food yeah. safety 
Uh, quote, child labor, just like food fraud, is not usually seen as an indicator of a positive food safety culture, and more instances <laughs> of turning production over to children keep being reported. The Tony Downs Food Company is the latest meat processing company to be nabbed and fined for child labor violations, this time brought by the Minnesota Department of Labor. Uh, Minnesota District Court entered a consent order requiring the meat processing company to comply with state child labor laws at its production facilities in Minnesota and to take significant steps to ensure compliance with these laws. They were also hit with a $300,000 administrative penalty. Following an investigation by the uh, Minnesota Department of Labor into the Medelia, Minnesota company, finding it employed at least eight children between the ages of 14 and 17 to operate meat processing equipment in violation yeah. of state labor laws prohibiting minors from working in these hazardous occupations. So this is not, Steve, an outside company that's employing kids to clean the machines after hours. This is kids working meat processing equipment. Yeah. Well, that, and it says these children, one of whom was uh, only 13 when hired, performed hazardous work such as operating meat grinders, ovens, and forklifts. For the company during overnight shifts. No way is that 13-year-old forklift certified. No way. Yeah. Now, you may, you may be able to be, I don't know what the rules are, but just in terms of driving, you get your permit at 16. So I don't know when you can actually become forklift certified, but I don't need a 13-year-old driving a forklift. Right. So I'm thinking about my son, who I would not want to have driving a forklift. Someone two years younger <laughs> than him? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know. It is it is so interesting to me the way the laws work in this country that the first thing they have to do is they have to go there and issue an injunction saying, hey, can you please follow this law? As opposed to being like, yeah. motherfuckers, you're shut down. The doors are closed. The, the lights are off. Until you can prove to us that you are not going to violate this law, you don't get to do any business at all, right? Uh, there's a chance that capitalism is out of control in this country, Steve. The idea <laughs> that uh, no regulation is good regulation, I think that's incorrect. Yeah. Right? Like if I'm driving a car and I'm just running people over, if the cops don't stop me and go, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you promise me you're going to stop running people over? And then the next time I run somebody over, they're like, okay, now we need to have a real talk. That's not how that shit works when it comes to just individual people. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think the... Um, the gist here is that they can claim, oh, we didn't know that they were only 13 years old when they were driving. They, but you know, so it's like, okay, so now you have to, you're checking, you're checking through all of this. We're going to make sure that you're checking and we're going to make sure that you continue to check for the foreseeable future because this is crazy. So I'm looking at a quote down here. This is after the investigation. This is from March. They've been working on this since March. So the question for me is how many of these kids are still employed there, right? In this case, Tony Downs has agreed to take important steps to prevent child labor violations. That's the part that gets me right there, Steve. Like, no. What you do is you say Tony Downs has been fined $9 trillion. And the next time they ever hire a kid who's 13 again, we're going to shoot him in the back of the head. Right? Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean take important steps? You hired kids on purpose. You clearly did it. So unless the important steps are we took our hiring manager out back and hung him. And we're not going to have that person hire children anymore. Like, what do you mean agreed to take important steps? They did something wrong and they knew it. This feels too gentle. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's that all employers should provide training to their employees to help recognize potential child labor violations. So basically, it's the uh, um, 
it, you know, passing the buck a little yeah. bit. It's like, oh, it must have been the manager of that particular meat processing facility. Didn't, you know, hiring a nephew or didn't, uh, wasn't paying attention enough. So uh, we'll just retrain everyone to recognize a child. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Like, what are the important steps? That's what I want to know. Because, like, nobody yeah. accidentally hired a 13-year-old kid. No, I'm sorry. No 13-year-old kid looks like they're not fucking 13. All right. And... If you are having that kid fill out a job application and you're hiring them appropriately and you're getting their social security number and stuff and you do um, e-verify with the like I-9 and all that shit. Like I've had to hire people before. I know how old they are. I have to know how old they are. It goes in their employee file. It's on their tax stuff. Nobody looks at one of these 13-year-olds information and goes, eh, it's probably an 8 and they put it in there wrong. It's probably an 18-year-old. No, of course not. Yeah but you're right they are kind of rolling this down like tony downs is rolling this to some hiring manager going oh look stacy is the one she doesn't she, she's got age blindness she can't tell that this kid who was dropped off by his mom is only 13 yeah he's like it's angela's fault right. or maybe it's mona's fault and the important or jonathan the important thing here is quote take steps to ensure they're not employing children in violation of state and federal laws so they are also soft trying to pretend like well yeah okay yeah 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 maybe we knew this kid was 13 but we didn't know it wasn't okay for them to drive a forklift <laughs> yeah where's yeah. that written down oh we need to retrain on these laws they must have changed like that's what they're doing this is obfuscation they're trying to push this off to like oh the laws are too complicated it's like no no no, motherfucker you can't hire somebody who's under 16 like you just can't do it it doesn't matter what they're doing especially if they're operating meat grinders and driving fucking forklifts yeah unreal so as well as the three hundred thousand dollars they have to hire a third party compliance specialist to uh, provide training, adopt or revise policies and procedures. <laughs> We're going to adopt a policy that uh, makes sure that we obey the law. Yeah. <laughs> and monitor compliance with the Minnesota Child Labor Standards Act. They need to uh, the ensure policies, procedures, and training related to its agreement with the uh, DLI are communicated to employees in, in an accessible and understandable manner for uh, those of all levels experience, literary and education, including providing materials in English, Spanish, and additional languages upon request. Um, so I guess they need to tell the uh, forklift operators that are certified that the kid shouldn't be driving the forklift. Yeah. Like, uh, notify DLI of child labor violations found and curing such violations within 10 days. They give them 10 whole days? <laughs> yeah. Listen, kid, you got you got nine more days of driving the forklift. Uh, and then submit regular reports to DLI uh, drafted by the compliance specialist that outline steps taken to comply with the requirements of the consent order. Uh, here are the steps we're going to take. No longer hire children. You know, that would be the simplest. <laughs> so my question about all of this is, because I'm kind of a fan of regulation. Capitalism's got out of control. Who in the irs or the like payroll tax office or whatever didn't see that these kids were working there right like this all gets filed with county and you know state and federal government stuff for payroll right like it all gets filed and your age is part of that like it's just in there your birth date is on your w-2 it's in there who didn't notice that and who is in charge of noticing that or did this company commit fraud by either paying these kids cash or falsifying their federal tax information? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I the I don't know if there's a mechanism within the IRS to to flag that kind of thing because they're really just interested in making sure that the government gets their share. So, True. and even if they did, you know, it's not uh, if they're turning in the 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 tax information and they're saying, you know, um, uh, uh, Jimmy John uh, was working here, worked this number of hours this last year. And this is what we paid them. It doesn't say, oh, yeah, and we had them driving a forklift. <laughs> right. Um, or, you know, this this is how many hours we're on the meat grinder. This is how many hours on the forklift. This is how many hours uh, bathing in the chemicals as they cleaned the both the forklift and the meat grinder. So, uh, so long as it's not, you know, over 40 hours a week um, or whatever it is for the minimum, you know, depending on the school, the age of the kid and the school year and whatever, then... Uh, you know, maybe maybe the the red flags wouldn't even pop up. Well, so at least that thirteen year old that should have happened because according to Minnesota child labor laws, uh, no one younger than fourteen may be employed except for things like newspaper uh, route actor actress right. model things like this. Because uh, you know you got kids who do like commercials and such. Yeah, children fourteen to fifteen cannot work before seven a.m. after nine p.m. more than forty hours a week or more than eight hours a day. Uh, there was another thing. Nope, that was the one I was looking at. And uh, so really, when it comes right down to it, the, maybe that's what it was. Maybe this 13-year-old tripped something in one of those levels of government, and that's why they started the investigation. Because this, yeah, that could this be. article does not indicate why it is they investigated to begin with. Yeah. And it was, it was another one of those things that looks like because it was like 13 when when employed. It could have been like, yeah, well, I'm only 13 for another three months, yeah. and then I'm going to be 14, a complete adult. <laughs> so, like, all right, well, we'll overlook the 13 initially. Because the one uh, – was it the kid that lost his hand was like – they were talking about when they were 16 when they were hired, yeah. they were 18 now. Or there yeah. was one of them that was like – they were 18 now, but when they were working there, they, wherever it was, they weren't. It's just – ladies um, and gentlemen, I'm just going to say this. As someone who was employed in what would become my career – at age 14 that's a terrible fucking idea and uh for a number of reasons like a nobody wants to have kids working for them are you high like kids are awful i have two kids i love them i don't want them to work for me they're terrible right uh my son went he, he my son is amazing and i love him and he does lots of things very well but he went to make muffins this morning and he forgot to preheat the oven and so when he went to go put the muffins in the oven it wasn't on do i want that kid driving a fucking forklift no i absolutely don't and he's really smart <laughs> Also, like, it's just, these are people whose brains are not fully, like, developed. You can't discipline a 14-year-old in a professional sense. You cannot do it. They are not going to get it, <laughs> you know? And also, it's illegal. So, like, on top of all of that, that shit is just illegal. So, what the hell, Tony Downs? Yeah. Sounds like a racetrack. It really does. The horses. <laughs> Looking at their little chart here at the end, too. Federal penalties were uh, penalties were imposed earlier this year on 13 meat plants contracting with Packer Sanitation Services. We yep. talked about that ad nauseum. Um, and these relationships resulted in the provision of child labor or critical food safety jobs. PSS, PSSI paid fines totaling $1.5 million across eight states. And it lists them. And um, there are three that stand out to me. Um and uh, so it's like, okay, this company four kids affected minors. It says uh, this company six, this company four, this company two. Uh, Cargill Inc. 
uh, Inc., Dodge City, Kansas, 26. Yep. <laughs> what? What? And then JBS Foods, Worthington, Minnesota, 22, and JBS Foods, Grand Island, Nebraska, 27. Yeah. I mean, if you have that many kids, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Agreed. It's uh, like one, one I can, like one sneaking by, maybe. I mean, still, you should know, but. Is maybe a little bit more understandable than 27. 27 is like you're doing this intentionally. Oh, yeah. No, it's a process. It's a, it's a policy at that point. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, when we talked about PSSI, the cleaning company, they're pretty much gone. Like they, they've, they've pretty much been like, uh, I want to say JBS and Cargill uh closed down their relationship with that company and it's not like oh well we don't want you to clean our factory it's we don't want you to clean our 200 factories you know and for each one of those companies that's a huge hit and well deserved like if you are putting children in danger overnight cleaning a meatpacking factory you deserve to go out of business that's that's how capitalism works is vote with your dollars so yes jbs and cargill are pushing off responsibility which they totally bear some of that responsibility because they were issuing pssi employees with biometrically coded ids to get them into their buildings so they fucking knew too but they still pushed it off but yeah if pssi goes out of business fucking you deserve that you did that to yourself yeah pssi still seems to exist they uh their website is still up and stuff they're headquartered in keeler wisconsin and I'm on the. Um... How far is it? Let's go visit them next. See if they have a museum <laughs> of dead children. I <laughs> mean, um, so I'm on their uh, their jobs page. They have twelve chemical operations jobs, three human resource jobs. Yeah, I bet you they think do. that'd be the one where they really needed to <laughs> hire some people. It's like we fired all of human resources. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh, some pest control jobs, uh, safety and food safety, five jobs, plant operations leader, 42 jobs, plant operations team, 360 jobs currently open. Um, so they must still have some companies that are uh, contracting with them. Weird. I would not want to start up unless they've like sincerely dropped their prices to try to make a comeback. I would not want yeah. to have my name if I had a big company that needed a overnight cleaning staff i would not want my name to be associated with them yeah i would demand really old people i'd be like i want you to employ only seniors (laughs) i want nobody under 60 to be cleaning my facility um i don't i mean obviously they're not mentioning any of this on their website to their credit none of the pictures of their uh (laughs) workers shows children are You right show children so god if all the pictures looked like you know when you've got kids in you know like annie or something pretending to be adults where they're clearly a kid with a fake mustache (laughs) that would be amazing yeah or it's just like obviously two kids one on the other's shoulders in a raincoat (laughs) we're not children we're one pssi employee no you're two kids in a trench coat trying to get into an r-rated movie yeah and Mr. Magoo is like the uh, manager. Yeah. Wow. That's very sad. Uh, it, two things about it are very sad. First off, we've got Arkansas, which did just approve. And it was – the picture is perfect. This is their promotional picture. It's, it's Huckabee Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. 
signing this bill that's like, no, nine-year-olds can go work in, like, the volcano plant or whatever. It's just, like, horribly dangerous, terrible legislation. They got it through because I guess everybody in Arkansas is stupid. I don't know. Sorry, Arkansas. But you just legislated that it's okay to employ, like, tiny, tiny children. So fuck off. There were a number of children there at the signing, and all of them looked fucking miserable. The kids looked yeah. beaten down, downtrodden. They looked sad, right? It was perfect. All the adults are like, yay, let's put kids in danger. And the kids are like, what the fuck? Um, I don't know. I mean, clearly, I was just on the Minnesota Department of Labor website. They don't employ kids under 14. Don't do it. If you're under 16, you can't do these jobs, and you can't do it during these hours. Arkansas, it's like, oh, yeah, you want to go work in the coal mines like it's the 20s? Get in there, Junior. You motherfuckers. Ohio, that one failed, if I remember correctly. But there was another one. Was it Kansas? Iowa. 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 That one did pass, right? I believe so. Fuck you guys, and too. The, the other thing about this is, you, you know, these all, all the states with Republican governors and the Republican Party is ostensibly very against human trafficking. Right. And, and especially human trafficking of children. Right. However, laws like this, um, it's not that they promote human trafficking, but it leads to more human trafficking because if you can employ children, what are you going to do? You're going to get the cheapest children you can yep. find. And, and um, not necessarily the companies, but people are going to traffic these children to these places to work. And then they're going to be working and whoever um, they are basically indentured to is going to be taking a portion of their wages and whatever, you know, whatever the skeevy things that go on with that sort of situation. And all of that is made possible because you've lowered the age of, uh, legal employment yeah. in your state, uh, which just encourages that kind of thing for the bad actors that, that do it. So if you're really against human trafficking, then you need tighter and stronger right. child labor laws, not laxer well and the one piece of the arkansas labor law that was just passed that gets me the most is that the age was lowered i forget to what but the parent consent portion of it was removed so you're absolutely right someone could come up to a 13 year old i guess in an arkansas playground and say hey do you want a job and that kid could take that job sign their name and be required to go to that job without their parents knowing anything about it that part so the same party that'll say you can't take your kids to a drag show because they're in danger will be like oh yeah yeah but your kid gonna get a job at 13 without telling you and you will have no information whatsoever so the party of keep kids safe wants to have them work overnight in a meatpacking plant like what the fuck yeah how do you square they can't, that they can't watch this bit of theater but yes they can stick their hand inside this thing with sharp yeah. uh grinding bits right. and uh inhale these chemicals all night the hypocrisy is astonishing now, again, yeah. as someone who started working at 14, I turned out okay. But I am the uh, rare exception to that. Because I, I would also say that anybody <laughs> who started working at 14, unless you're working like family farm or you're working in your parents' store or whatever, that's also likely not going to become your career. So whatever work you were doing, like let's say you needed to make money to help support your family. I feel bad about that. And I wish that there were better social programs. And I wish we had a CEO wage cap right like you can only make this mon uh, money a year and you have to put it back into your company otherwise the tax is gonna you know jam you right in the ass right something like that you can't get that kind of legislation through in this country the more we concentrate wealth at the top the worse off everybody's gonna do and then you find people in situations where they look at something like do i send my 13 year old to work so we can afford to live and they kind of have to right so this sort of thing is self-perpetuating 
And I hate it, and I can't fix it. Because, again, we were talking about this on the way up to uh, the Mustard Museum. If we were in charge, everything would be awesome. But I feel like everybody <laughs> thinks that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Sarah Huckabee Sanders thinks that if she was in charge, kids would be happily working, you know, the, the rail cars, and everything would be great. Yeah. Fucking Arkansas. Listen, I don't want to eat them. I just need them because they're small to fix my train. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. I'm going to get too angry about it. Like, right now, my daughter definitely, like, 100%, she just turned 11, 100% wants to not go to college. She wants to go right into culinary school after high school. She wants to be a pastry chef, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. I'm trying really hard to make sure she has, like, a well-rounded education previous to that. She's a smart kid. I don't regret any of the college that I went to. Right? I did three years of college. I'm a fairly smart guy. My son hasn't figured out what he wants to do yet, but like next summer when he's 15 going on 16, do I want him to have a job? Yes. Am I going to be very, very picky for him about what that job is? Also, yes. I'm going to know exactly what he's doing, exactly who he's working for, exactly who he's working with. I want all that information because I need to protect him from people from Arkansas. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Simple as that. All right, I feel like that's enough depressing stuff for today. We have one more article about a wine flood, but is there, and I've got one other thing I want to talk about, but is there anything else you wanted to hit today? Anything we've missed? No, no, not at all. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am 8% famous on the internet. And it's because I have a big (laughs) mouth, can't stop talking, can't stop posting. And it's fine. For the most part, like, people will come at me about stuff, and I'm just like, haha, and I block them because I don't care. I don't I don't have the time or the space or the energy for uh, defending myself to other people. I get a lot of influencer bots that are like, promote this on Instagram. Those are 10,000 followers. Oh, fuck off. You're, you're a robot. I don't care. I block those people, too. Every so often, somebody sneaks through where it will be, like, in this case, hey... I like your food posts because I post on Instagram the food that I make fucking a ton. But I also have this thing where I, my brain is wired in such a way that I see faces all the time. Fruit, right? Cardboard boxes, uh, raindrops on the ground, like whatever. I just see faces and I take pictures of them and I put them up on Instagram. So a company reached out to me and said, hey, we like your food posts and we like your hashtag faces and things posts. We want to send you a machine. And I was like, awesome, because this machine is a grilled cheese press. It's a sandwich press, right? A panini press, uh, uh, like a waffle maker that makes grilled cheese sandwiches. (laughs) Except this one sears onto the top of the bread the face of Jesus (laughs) with, like, this emanating light from behind him. And their company is called Grilled Cheeses, which is also amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm aware it's blasphemy, but I don't really go to church. So it doesn't bother me that much. I don't think it's like officially blasphemy. It, probably not. Probably not. And also, I'm I'm here for the product, and I'm here for the pun. That was well done. Also, this company donates a fair amount of their profits to uh, food banks and such like that. It's this fighting hunger sort of a thing. So it's funny, useful tool, profits go to a good thing. Fine. They sent it to me for free, so I'm sorry that my... Uh, uh, possession of this thing has not helped out folks who are hungry. Um, what I can say is that 
and I need to get in contact with this company just because I have a couple of a uh, couple of thoughts after having used it from a culinary perspective. It makes a very very skinny grilled cheese sandwich. The the plates come together a little too tightly for my taste. I like a big sandwich, right? And also, the face itself doesn't have the same amount of heat on the plate as the outsides do. So it's tough to get a real good look at Jesus's face on that sandwich. You can see it, but it's tough to get a real good look at it. Besides that, it has made me now three really good grilled cheese sandwiches. So I have no functional complaints. The sandwich is good. The The imprinting of the face on there could be a shade hotter. That's all. I think uh, as far as thickness goes, it's probably made for Wonder Bread or, right. you know, your regular sliced bread and you're making your own bread and, and putting it in there. Because, yeah, even in the picture here, it's not... The hinge isn't such that it will raise, right? Right. Um, it's it's just hinged, but the back doesn't like um, raise up to get to uh, accommodate thicker breads. Well, exactly right. So when you have any sort of a hinged thing, the area closer to the hinge is going to be tighter, and the the exterior. Now this does have a clip, so you're able to close the entire thing and clip it down, so it will be essentially level, but it is still going to be tighter toward the back, which is where the face is. Yeah. Um, so definitely for uh, grilled cheese, not for like patty melts or other things that are going to be a little thicker. Right. Um, probably best for uh, your pre-sliced breads. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. And the other thing that I find kind of interesting is if you were to take a file and just go at the beard, this would be Lenin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and so. the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to preheat it longer because I wonder about where the – because I, I haven't taken it apart yet. I may take it apart. Um, I don't know where the heating coils are on the back of the plate, but they seem to be around the outside. And so if I let it preheat longer, because it is a, a significant amount of metal, maybe that heat will be more even. So maybe this is a me thing. Maybe I'm the problem. And so the next time I use it, because it's got two lights. It's got a red light and a green light. The red light is this is plugged in. The green light is it's hot enough to go. I don't know yeah. what part of the metal it is testing for that heat. So I'm going to let it warm up for like a significant. I'm going to make another grilled cheese sandwich today. I've got like 13 mustards in the house. I need to make grilled ham and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> and I went to the store and I bought a good buttermilk white bread, but it is pre-sliced, whatever. And because uh, you're right. When I made it with my sourdough, I couldn't possibly slice it thin enough to go in there because it's just big bread. I'm going to make another one today, but I'm going to let that thing heat up like an absurd amount of time. I'm going to give it like seven or eight minutes to heat up before I throw the sandwich in there. See if that helps. I think this is fun. I know they also make some like with Death Star or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. an X-Wing, right? And that kind of thing. For this one in particular, I think to... Um, I know they probably couldn't and still sell it, but for my money, it'd be like, why don't you make it a little more subtle so that if you're actually serving this to someone, it isn't obvious. <laughs> right, right. And they'd just be like looking at their sandwich and then looking around the room like, am I, am, does anyone else see this? Well, and, and I, I, I totally understand in my narrative brain how this worked out because there have been those moments where you see the the Virgin Mary in a spilled red wine or you see Jesus's face on a piece of toast that comes out of a toaster. And people have claimed to have had religious experiences like that. And then whoever it is who developed this company was like, wait, 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 we could do that shit on purpose. And it would be hilarious. Yes. Right. So I, I get that part, too. Like the theater yeah, of this works for me. Yes, I, I think so as well. Um. And I mean, there again, grilled cheese is such a you can't take it seriously. You show me a fancy grilled cheese restaurant. And I'm going to show you somebody who takes themselves 
way too fucking seriously, you hipster douchebag. I don't even know who it would be, but like calm the fuck down. Grilled cheese is either fun or it's wrong, right? And so <laughs> there's a there's a food truck in Ohio at one of the I forget exactly what town it is, but it's one of the college towns that is made to look like Star Wars and it's called the Grillenium Falcon. That's fucking perfect, right? Like that kind of thing. If you make me a fancy grilled cheese sandwich and you want me to take it seriously, I'm walking out. No gracias. Yeah. <laughs> Shit has to still be fun. You can make a fancy grilled cheese sandwich, and that's fine. But if it, you oh, if you tell me it's art, fuck all the way off. This is exactly like a grilled cheese sandwich should be drippy, a little too oily. It should be sexy, and it should be big, and it should be awesome. That's it. It doesn't need to be art. Know what I'm saying? Right. Yes. I'm getting mad at something that doesn't exist. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. Like, I don't think there's anybody out there who's like, oh, no, I make grilled cheese. Oh, fuck off. I don't think anybody's doing that. <laughs> a little accent over it and all that. Yeah. <laughs> now that I say that, I, I kind that. of want to fake that, though, and start making, like, really uh, elaborate, just, like, overblown grilled cheese on purpose to just see if I can piss anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I did just Google uh, Picasso grilled cheese press and nothing came up, so we might be safe. There you go. Get a Van Gogh grilled cheese press that just sears a big ear on it. <laughs> yes, the uh, grilled uh, cheeses uh, press did show up, um, though, so that's good. Their, their SEO is working a little bit. Although I did just Google novelty, unless I'm spelling things way incorrectly. Um, novelty grilled cheese press, and it didn't show up. So, and I know nothing about this company. Like I said, they contacted me on Instagram. Um, I gave them my work address because I generally don't give people my home address online. And uh, when it arrived, it was brought to me by one of the maintenance guys who was like, what the fuck is this? And I had to explain the whole thing to him, and we had a good laugh about it. Whatever. I don't know anything about the company. I'll be honest with you, the amount of artifice that went into putting these plates together, it does look good. It's been put together well. You could do anything. If this company is not thinking about doing other things with it, uh, then I feel like they're probably missing out on making like you just said. Like, why not have one that's got the Pyramids of Giza? Why not have one that's got the Eiffel Tower? Why not? You could make yeah. all kind of... <laughs> if you already have the process in place, you can make... Honestly... The next step up from this is interchangeable plates that like clip yes. in and you can change them, you know? Why not have one? I'm, I I don't want to take over this company. Whatever work they're doing, I'm impressed by it and I think it's fantastic. I don't know what goes into it, but could you imagine if it could be your face? You go on their website and custom <laughs> order your own face for a grilled cheese press? Yeah. Why would you want that? I don't know, but it's got to be a thing people would want. Um. So the when I when I put it into Google instead of Bing, I did come up with more. There's one that's Uncanny Brands appears to make a whole bunch, but these, the one what makes the uh, grilled cheeses superior in that regard is that it appears to actually be a little wider. Yeah. So these are definitely just like Wonder Bread, you know, for sure white bread, uh, made it for kids because there's an Elmo, there's a uh, Spider-Man, okay. Jurassic Park, Hello Kitty, uh, a, a Snoopy. Um, yeah, I can and, I, I can tell you it is wider and it does fit pretty decent sized bread in it. Like it makes an adult sized grilled cheese sandwich. 
Yes, and none of these others do the 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 all these others they may be wider, but it's like you you it's for two sandwiches. There's a dividing ah. thing in between, and also like not quite as fun because even the Jurassic Park one like it puts the Jurassic Park like dinosaur head on one side, but the other side says Jurassic Park, and ah. why do I want that? <laughs> well, and I mean the only thing this machine doesn't do that I wish it did is I wish it had that floating hinge in the back so that I could make a taller sandwich. Simple as that. That's the only yeah. thing. But again, I didn't design it and I didn't pay for it. I really like, thank you very much, Grilled Cheeses, for sending me this free device. I did not have one of these before. It has made me three really good grilled cheese sandwiches over the last couple of days. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it until I had tried it out. It's very easy to clean. It's very easy to use. Like, I, my one complaint is super minor and it's probably a me thing. Like, I, maybe I'm the only one who wants to have like a five inch tall grilled cheese sandwich. I don't know. Yeah. I'm starting to drool a little bit thinking about making another one right now because it's uh, <laughs> almost 11 o'clock my time and I have not had anything to eat today except for non-Fox poop coffee. And so, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to using this thing again in a little bit here. You know, the uh, we have a fairly ancient, by this point, George Foreman grill with interchange with pl the plates that come out yeah. so you can put them in the dishwasher. Right. Um, so yeah, I think interchangeable plates, even, even if they're sticking with the theme, do, um, you know, uh, uh, um, the last supper, <laughs> that would be you know, awesome. <laughs> da Vinci's last yeah, supper or whatever yeah, yeah. on, you know, so that you can do, uh, you know, not, not just the, the face, but you can do other things. The, um, the three crosses on the Mount, probably a bad look. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd go there. There's a lot of biblical imagery. I don't necessarily want on my food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, Jesus flipping the tables at the money changers outside of the temple. Yeah. I'm here for that one. That'd be great. Walking on water. Oh, yeah. That could possibly be cheese. You don't know. <laughs> liquid cheese. Jesus walking, walking in liquid on cheese. cheese whiz. Uh, we're, we're coming up against the edge of my knowledge of uh, Christianity. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to just capture like turning water into wine. Yeah on a piece of bread sure, i don't know how you sure. do that but if they could if they could figure it out you know as one of the miracles and there are other um, things i'm so i don't want to destroy this machine so i'm going to be careful but i do wonder if i can use it the same way you would use a waffle maker right i'm wondering if i make a fairly stiff batter if i can pour it in there and get better contact and get a better picture so i am going to try that out uh there was something else i was going to do as well i was thinking about putting some tortillas in there put a flour tortilla oh, yeah. in there and see if i can get it printed on a flour tortilla as well if you do that, you have to tag them and send it to them, you know, those pictures. Yeah. My thinking is, I mean, I don't, because of the waffle makers are so deep usually, but maybe, maybe doing a pancake that you're actually going to flip. Yeah. Well, it's the same would, image on both sides. So it would cook the, it, it would cook it just fine. The waffle? Well, any, any batter that you put in. Oh, okay. But no, if um, I made a quesadilla Jesus, that could be cool. I, the, it's a, it's an interesting size for a quesadilla. I would have to be cut. I would have to get one that's really big and cut it down. I think, or do it like a like a Crunchwrap Supreme, fold it over. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I have any tortillas in the house right now. Might have to go to the store. Skinny, skinny calzone. Right, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there you go. You could use it to not even cook something, but like take a pasty, jam it in there, and get the face on there, and then throw the pasty in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> use it oh, just as a brand you, 
Yeah, well, not even that, but can you use it uh, before you, well, maybe it would, would have to be warm. Uh, as I say, before you bake, can you uh, press it on there and see if it stays? It's probably not deep enough to leave the imprint on anything that you're uh, um, going, going to throw in the oven later. I could give it a shot. I don't know. Again, it's, it's a matter of I worry that there's not that the, the the coils, the actual heating coils are around the edge. That's what I worry about because really what you want is that face. You want the face part to be the hottest part, but without taking it apart to look at it, I'm not going to be able to uh, to know that. And all that means is that I just need to let the thing heat up for longer so that that heat from the edges can get all the way into the middle and I can get a good yeah, imprint yeah. of the guy's face. Yeah. Which is also fine. I don't really care. It takes very little time for it to heat up to the point where the little light comes on. It takes like two minutes. Yeah. I'm definitely interested if you do try waffles. I'm, I uh, want to see pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I might. It's. I worry about the batter coming out because I don't think the edges of the plates actually come together when it's clipped shut. I'll have to look yeah. at that. Because I also don't want to just like boil it over and have waffle batter all throughout the interior of this machine. Right. I don't want to ruin well, that happens. Right? Yeah, that happens to me every time I make waffles. That's yeah. why I was like, well, maybe if you just try to do a pancake that you're just pouring over Jesus and yeah. then flipping um, tiny square pancakes. Right. Well, yeah, if I did it just so that it filled that up but didn't boil over, the heat from the top plate should cook the top of that, which would then become the bottom when you flip it out, but not get the imprint on it. The imprint would have to come from the bottom plate, which is also yeah. fine, I think. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> the show does this to me every time. But yeah, I will. Ladies and gentlemen, look at Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. You'll see pictures of me using this thing. Like I said, it makes a great grilled cheese sandwich. The interior portion of it, I still need to figure out how to get that face to be more prominent. That's all. I also wish there was a heat dial on it. But again, that's another level of complexity of that machine that I'm sure that they didn't want to mess with. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's it's not. I'm not saying it's cheap, but it's not high end. Because even yeah. like the waffle maker we have is just it's that green light, red light, yeah. and uh, and we didn't we didn't buy a super expensive one. But I mean, you you I don't know at what level you get the knob. <laughs> <laughs> That's third day. But, uh, third day. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not it's not the first or second tier of uh, panini machines or or grilled cheese makers. Yeah. yeah. But again. No complaints, and it was given to me as a gift, so I certainly shouldn't complain anyway. And like I've always yeah. said in the past, if I don't like something, I'm just going to not talk about it unless it's somebody who's so big it doesn't matter. Like if something happened to me at Wendy's and I was like, fuck Wendy's, I would do that because that's not going to hurt their bottom line at all. These folks gave me, for better or for worse, a fine grilled cheese sandwich press, you know, for yeah. free, which is awesome. <laughs> and I uh, can't complain about it. I should find and out how might, much they retail for because I don't want to be recommending to our listeners that they buy like a hundred dollar or a hundred and fifty dollar <laughs> grilled cheese thing. No, uh, it is. Uh, let me see. Uh, the grilled cheeses sandwich press on Amazon is fifty bucks. Oh, okay, that's not that bad. I'm. Uh, that's the wrong thing to say. That's appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> especially given that they um, donate an amount of their profits to. Um, to feed folks yeah and i don't know if this is a, a reseller or if it's you know the actual company i guess i can google real quick <laughs> grilled cheeses cheeses with a z yeah c-h-e-e-z-u-s 
Oh, Ben, have you been to their website? I'm looking at it right now. Do you see the craft? Is that what your splash page is? No, not on my uh, phone. Orlando, Florida. Uh-oh. My former stomping ground, so... <laughs> all of the, all of their reviews that are swinging oh no i guess two of their reviews that they were swinging through were from tom cruise <laughs> so um i think this is a sandwich must be recipe uh, but i i'm sure you will appreciate that oh i don't oh, even wow think that, that's the big lebowski yes this isn't a company this is a restaurant okay yeah you've you've found a restaurant in orlando which is having as much fun as this company Yes. Oh, next time I am there, I'm going to have to uh, find this place. Um, yeah. So never mind. That's not the company at all. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if they're looking for their next plates, right? some slight modification and they have the Big Lebowski oh, the instead dude. of Jesus. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. They've got the dude. All right. There it is. That makes much more sense. Um, yeah. And a bunch of pictures. Yours isn't up yet. No. Man, someone made a stack of uh, <laughs> grilled cheese And it, it does look like people have the same issue that I do with the center part not getting hot enough. So I am going to yeah. – I'm going to try that. Like I said, I'm going to try to preheat it quite a bit longer than I have in the past and see if uh, that fixes it. If so, then yeah. I will let them know that they should probably let everybody else know that that's the way to do it. Because in some of those, people have been getting really good imprints. Yes. And then some, they're very light. Yeah. Like mine. Which is fine. Yeah. And someone, someone pushed down real hard. Yeah, because it's not just, it's like embossed, which yeah, not not unlike what I did. Yeah, I feel like so they also have some color changing mugs. One of them is Mary, uh, full of grace, and the other is Rise with Jesus. Um, but I feel like it should be um, Mary, full of coffee, right, right, or or some some such, instead of uh, full of grace. If if it's like mug, I feel like they could have gone punnier but they didn't they didn't ask us yeah (laughs) all right so as i get more and more hungry let's wrap this up with the wine flood and send me on my way to go make a grilled cheese sandwich for breakfast yes so i sent you this article yesterday from food and wine a river of wine flowed through a portuguese village after a tanker spilled six hundred thousand gallons in the streets yes which is um one thing to hear and then uh you they posted a video of it which is incredible it's wild so this like a as a non-drinker this sounds horrifying to me like if i were to step out my front door and all of a sudden this just like a wine river that would be very confusing to me b yeah. portugal looks beautiful and i've never been there and i kind of want to visit portugal in a wine flood free area you know yeah <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen if you have not uh and i'm sure steve will put this article that i sent him up onto the website there is a video it's it almost looks like cg it almost looks like something out of a movie it yeah. is an enormous amount of wine just flowing down the street very hilly area it looks like yes and it's sticking uh mostly to the street and they did say that they prevented it from getting into the river presumably because they didn't want a bunch of drunk slash dead fish <laughs> right uh or whatever whatever that much wine would do to the ecosystem of the river they they diverted it into a field which i imagine the uh farmers had to be real happy about yes yeah yeah, yeah. so from this article the people living in sayo lorenco de bairo i am saying all that wrong i'm so sorry to my portuguese listeners 
A small village of fewer than 2,500 full-time residents in northern Portugal got quite the surprise on Sunday when their streets turned into a raging river of wine. 600,000 gallons. That is a lot. That's amazing. So Lavira Distillery had two of their tanks where they were storing this wine burst. Doesn't say why. If the wine was over-fermenting or whatever, but yeah, uh, apparently having the winery at the top of a hill, bad move. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Enough wine was spilled to fill an entire Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's wild. I can't conceive of that much stuff. Like, that's that's a number that doesn't make sense in my head. Yeah, agreed. And and also just watching it flow down, I mean it's it's weird to see that much water flowing or or liquid flowing down a hill when there's no source in sight and the fact that it just keeps coming. <laughs> so the quote here from the distillery, we assume full responsibility for the costs associated with cleaning and repairing the damage. Having teams do so immediately, the distillery shared in a statement. We are committed to resolving this situation as quickly as possible. That is not a statement you would hear from a company in the U.S. A company in the U.S. would have said something like, you know, it's got to be one of those 13-year-olds driving a forklift who poked into this (laughs) fucking tank. I don't know why it is we hire these kids illegally. What what you'd have is the company would say, uh, a forklift driver ran into a tank of uh, fermenting wine and caused the spill and was immediately fired. And then you would say, the... um, um, forklift driver's comment was, uh, I was just playing Pokemon Go and, uh, you know, watching my, watching my, uh, bubble guppies. Yep. And must have, must have, must have turned Wong and went into the tank of wine. Meanwhile, distillery is suing the Caterpillar uh, uh, forklift company. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know a ton about Portuguese wine. Apparently this is not going to affect their wine industry too much. Uh, this article says those looking to get their wine fixed in Portugal need not fear, as this community sits just two hours southwest of the Douro Valley, one of the world's most spectacular wine regions. If I've had Portuguese wine in the past, I have not known that that's what it was or it didn't stand out to me for whatever reason. Um, back in the day, I was a huge wine drinker in as much as I really loved wine. I really appreciated it. So I feel like I would have noticed if I was drinking wine from Portugal just because. Yeah. I, I know uh, I know two things about Portuguese wine. Um, it's got a really nice color and it flows very well down a hill. <laughs> Real liquidy, really, really liquidy. Yeah, yeah, it looks very. Uh... <laughs> it is interesting to me, and I wonder because I know how I would clean this up. I would tell the firefighters who diverted it into the ri- into the field, undivert it. I'm just going to put a whole bunch of water down the exact same path and just wash it all away, right? Uh, but I don't know if that's appropriate because you can't really see it in the video whether or not it's like getting into the homes that it's going past or whatever. So if people are having to mop up wine in their basements, I bet they don't want to then mop up water in their basements too. Right, right. Because the only other thing I can think of is you've got a team of people heading downhill with power washers just walking along, just like power washing everything. That sounds like it would take a long time. I would think that the stained cobblestone or whatever this is would be in a tourist attraction. It would look really cool, yeah. Moving forward, yeah, it's and then every year it's like, well, what's the year? We're releasing the wine. It's the running of the wine instead of the running of the bulls. You have right. to try to make it down the hill before the wine catches you. Yikes! That sounds like more people would get hurt than in the running of the bulls. <laughs> the first time the first person slips, they're taking everybody else with them. Yeah, 
<laughs> or maybe that's it. It's like, okay, the street's now a wine slip and slide. Ooh. You you get in your inflatable raft and you <laughs> flow with the wine down the hill. Yeah, until you get a bunch of spring breakers from Orlando to ruin it. Ruin it for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Them and their, uh, the dude sandwiches. Yeah. I don't know. So, like, as far as industrial alcohol accidents go, this is far more benign than like when whiskey distilleries explode and stuff like that yeah, or when yeah. things like when the uh what did we see there was a grain fire at one of these distilleries back in the 1800s or something that took out like a town this yeah. one this feels more along the delightful scale obviously i'm yes. sure they didn't say anybody was hurt right it doesn't say that people were like losing their homes and such but there's at least one car in this video that's probably going to smell like wine forever yeah yeah, this is definitely a Three Stooges level of uh, <laughs> right. industrial accident. Shemp did this, for sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck Shemp. <laughs> yeah, I don't really yep, have anything yep. else to say about that. It's just that every so often we cover like food heists and stuff like this, and this felt like this fit right in. Absolutely does. All right. Well, Steve, in as much as I'm starving now, uh i pretty much have nothing left to cover this episode how about you yeah um that does it. i am so very glad that we finally got it together and were able to get up to the um middleton wisconsin uh mustard museum and i do recommend like two and a quarter hours each way that's about as far as i want to drive for something that was an unknown like we did have a good time that was fun my wife asked if the kids would dig it and i was like who not after driving two and a half hours i don't think yeah. <laughs> my kids are not that much into mustard they will be soon but they're not right now and so that would be a tough sell for them but i feel like that was a, a fun enough time for the two of us and there were other things to do in madison that that were yeah also fun. and and anyone that's uh would need to fly or whatever because they do have a thing on the counter is like uh airlines probably aren't gonna allow this mustard in your carry-on yeah, yeah. Uh, um but uh they do have you sent me some it was a a pack of four mustards yep. or whatever and they do arrange them in different ways so check out their website you can order some mustards or at least look for mustards that maybe you can even find closer to where you are um and uh yeah there's a lot of really interesting and cool mustard out there we also did a public service for a father of very young children while we were there because there was a guy from florida who mm -hmm. was there with his family i don't know why he was in madison i'm certain they didn't go from florida directly to the mustard museum but he asked us if it would be worth their time, if it was a good idea to drive down to Chicago as a day trip from there to go visit the Bean. And we were both like, uh, no, it's like easy three hours and some each way. And I heard him talking to his wife and they had decided not to do it. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, that would it would be a whole day trip. It's not it's yeah. not a short excursion. So you, you plan on being there. Right. And his kids were... <laughs> nine and younger and he had three of them and i was just like oh no no whatever amount of time you've spent getting to here spend your time in madison because you don't want to pack those kids into a car for a six-hour round trip to see sculpture yeah like yeah, yes it's that's cool, something but, yeah mm. right i didn't ask him why he was in madison because it started to sound a little weird to get more and more information <laughs> from the guy but uh yeah it was it's the idea of flying from orlando because he said he or no he said he was from tampa right tampa flying from tampa to madison wisconsin is its own thing to then drive to <laughs> chicago i don't know man yeah that felt like too much so we did a public <laughs> service at least for that one guy because his family would have been we tried. mad at him they would have been really mad <laughs> that's it for me steve um uh, 
Ladies and gentlemen, once again, to get a hold of us to be part of the conversation, if you have a local museum of goofy-ass food that you would like us to visit, that's within two and a half hours of Chicago, please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram, where you can find mustard and grilled cheese sandwiches and other kind of stuff like that, is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where we also have merch and stuff if you want to dress like a couple of very early 40s guys, because I think to date we're the only ones who buy stuff from our own website. Uh, <laughs> that's also all available there. Yeah, that pretty much does me. For In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye bye.